The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The podcast today brought to you by MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and you can secure your first deposit bonus up to $1,000. Let me explain. If you deposit $1,000, they're going to give you an extra $1,000. you will have a $2,000 balance to bet with. If you put in $500, they'll give you an extra $500. You'll have $1,000 to bet with. you got to use my bonus code, KevinDC, at mybookie at mybookie.ag. Plenty of NHL playoff betting opportunities coming up. Caps open up Saturday night against the Bruins. NBA playoffs starting next week. And, hell, by late tonight, early tomorrow morning, Week one NFL lines might be available. The podcast today, Cooley's with me. Um, he's going to spend 15 minutes with me as I do my mock schedule, which has already you know, basically been shot to hell in a hand bucket. I should have done this yesterday. I didn't realize that they were going to leak the whole first week of the season, and there's so many more leaks coming out now. But I'm going to give you my mock schedule with Cooley um, game by game, as I finalized it last night. I'm not going to make any changes to it. But I want to start with Chris. Uh, by the way, Ryan Rossillo will be our guest as well. Um, Ryan uh, Scott's radio partner for seven years and doing a very successful uh, podcast for The Ringer. Ryan will be our guest as well. We'll talk about Russell Westbrook and other things, I'm sure. Um, so Colt Brennan passed away yesterday at the age of 37 years old. Very sad. He was he of course was here in 2008 um was sort of a training camp. Um you know Marvel fans uh loved him and you were close with him. Um shocking at 37 years old. I know he had issues with alcohol and drugs and the father um had a statement that uh, that there was fentanyl in his system, that uh, he had ingested something laced with fentanyl, and he never regained consciousness after that. Uh, how col- how close were you with Colt when he was here, Chris? We were pretty close. We hung out a lot. And um, what can you tell us about him? Well, I mean, this is so. This is sad, man. It's really sad, you know. Cole's one of those guys that was always fun to be around. Like it was always, he was, 
he had something about him, you know, something special he had it about him. Um, I don't know. I I was still upset yesterday. What, uh, what, so yeah. you know, the, like I, here's here's my other sense too with, with Colt is, you know, I, I I've hung out with Colt or had hung out with Colt after he'd been long gone. You know, four or five years ago he came out to Virginia and spent a week in Virginia. And, we got to spend a lot of time together, and you know, whatever it was—seven, eight, nine years ago—he was in that head-on collision in Hawaii, right. and he had pretty extensive brain damage. And Cole was—it was never really the same after that. And so, whenever anyone's saying he had drug and alcohol issues and whatever he had, you know, Cole I knew when he was here as a football player, drank or did whatever to have, and it was fun. And we and we it wasn't ticks excess it wasn't a crazy deal it i think something changed in him when he had you know a lot of brain damage from that accident and i, I yeah. you know i've had a lot you know told my kept in touch you know not every week or every month but more than a couple times a year and you just you just got the sense over the last two years that like uh, that life was really hard for him and you know when we we were with him, Talde, he was a, just not the same dude. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, you brought up something that you know not everybody knows, and that is he suffered you know a, a very serious car accident back in 2010, and he did suffer you know some traumatic brain injury, and you know he basically was you know in a in a coma. Um, for several days, um, and then, you know, coming off of that, you know, the, his life really took a turn for the worse. You know, he was, I think he was arrested a couple of times over the course of, of the last few years, and, and, um, and yeah, that, that, that's, it's, it's so tragic, and it sounds like that accident perhaps had a lot to do with what followed. I mean, I really do believe that. I know friends of Colt really do believe that yeah. but you know on the on the positive i i just i thought cole was a hell of a football player it was fun watching him in hawaii i thought in a different circumstance in a different situation that he, he could have been a big time nfl quarterback and him and zorn were not a fit like, no. how they didn't manage to understand that when they interviewed him at the combine I, who knows well Actually, that was the Vinny Serrato years. So Cole was never really given a chance. Uh, and, you know, some of those training camp big-time plays, I, like, I'll never forget this. Like, we, we ran double option with both the inside players running 8- to 10-yard option routes, and outside were seams. And essentially, in Jim Zorn's offense, you didn't throw the seam. You, you, you worked the option inside. Like, it's good against every coverage, and we're going to work the winner inside. And you would get a cover two look in the preseason and Colt threw a big time shot down the sideline into the cover two hole. And Zorn was not happy about it. <laughs> like guy, it's a viable throw. Like it's a big time throw that he made. And I just think that Colt had a great sense of the field. I think he had great vision. I think he had great awareness and had he had the opportunity somewhere to potentially grow in terms of understanding of offense and defense. I, I really think that, he was a special player. You know, I remember talking to guys like Santana Moss and, and guys on the team going, Colt's probably, right now, 
the most talented quarterback on our roster. Really, and I, I still believe that talent, talent wise, that, that year was it was what Jason Campbell and Todd Collins and Colt. Yeah, there's Colt was the most talented player, and you know it's it's also a lesson in to show up with with your notebook handy and ready to sit like wide awake and ask questions and talk about offense in your meetings, especially when you're a quarterback. But, you know, he's a, he's a young player, and, and that can also come with time. So His, and I, and maybe maybe some Brett Favre to him. But he just he saw the field really well. He could make every throw. He could do a lot of things that a lot of quarterbacks couldn't do. He's a pretty special player. And granted, it, it never worked out. Um, and obviously, you know, there there are there are reasons as well that I mean it's not just all Jim didn't like him you know you got you got to impress a lot of people but he sure impressed the players. Uh, he had he he still has the NCAA record for the most four hundred yard games. He had twenty of them in college. Twenty. He's second on the all time list of touchdowns responsible for. He had one hundred and thirty one throwing touchdowns, fifteen rushing. He had 58 touchdown passes in 2006 in his for his junior season uh, at Hawaii. Threw for 5,549 yards and 58 touchdowns. I, I think that's second only to Joe Burrow um, for a year. And then in his first preseason game, which was the 2008 Hall of Fame game against Indy, he was 9 of 10 for 123 yards, two touchdowns, and had, uh, had a near-perfect passer rating. It was 157.5 passer rating and he became sort of one of those preseason fan favorites you know Marcus Mason and what was the dude's name the receiver from Nevada uh, Marco Mitchell like there were these yeah there were these guys that were huge preseason fan favorites and, and Colt was was one of those yeah but it's, it's not it's not easy to be that good in the preseason game as a quarterback it's not when when you're in with all of the threes and fours on offense. When you're in with the ragtag offensive line and you're in with the receivers who you haven't played with. and I understand when you start running the ball like a running back will make some plays and guys get exhausted late in games so it's harder to tackle. So sometimes you see running backs kind of have those anomaly preseason. But you, you don't you don't see very many quarterbacks do that. And I think that, I mean, it really just goes to, I believe, Colts out of field really well. Had a good sense for for the game, and and that was a big part of it. You know, it's the other here's the other crazy thing about it. Like, remember, Hawaii went and played in a bowl game. I think they played against Georgia his senior year, mm-hmm. and he got banged up in that game. Right. And so that really dropped his draft. They were they were undefeated. That that was the year that they were undefeated. Yeah. But go back. Think about the evolution of drafting quarterbacks. Colt Brennan would have been a top ten pick this year. After that senior year, being twelve and zero, and they beat they beat some After teams. They three beat... years of, he probably would have came out as a junior, but all the way through what, two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen, like the small school quarterback was never the guy. Like it didn't matter that he. Yeah, I mean, Fla- Flacco was different. Like... Flacco was from Delaware, so that was you know an FCS school division, you know, uh, a one double A school, but he was also six six. Right, and Cole wasn't short. Cole was six three, six yeah. four. Well, yeah, yeah. I think he was. I think he's close to my height. 
I mean, he was all of 6'2", if, if anything but, less. Than, I think he was more like 6'3". But, I mean, just the idea, like, had he come out 10 years later, he probably would have been a first-round pick and been given way more opportunities. Well, look at Trey Lance. Right? I know. So, you like, know. Trey Lance has thrown 17 total passes in college. Right. This, yeah. this guy was playing uh, Boise and then, in, in, you know, this guy was playing, they beat Boise, who was 17th ranked in the country a senior year. They, they beat Washington that year. And then they did get blown out by Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. But um, he had, he had, and he got hurt. He got hurt in that game. Yeah. Like pretty hurt. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like the Mahomes theory, everyone pre-draft said, you know, who cares? It's, it's air raid. Run, you know? Who cares? And this isn't going to translate. I don't care that he threw for nine thousand yards in college. Well, clearly it makes a pretty big difference. Right. <laughs> I don't know. You know, Colt would have been. I think one of those quarterbacks that would have been fun to watch. Would have run around, made all kinds of throws. But he he could throw off platform. He could make. It didn't work out. You know, it doesn't for, not for, for some guys. All right. Uh, you want to stick around as I do a quick uh, mock schedule, real schedule thing? <laughs> like your highlight of the year? I could not miss this. It's coming up next right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I told this story yesterday on the podcast about the year that you and I, the first year we were doing the show together, Cooley's uh, with me, Ryan Rosillo's coming up, um, and I said, you know, I do this mock schedule thing. You're like, yeah, 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 I know, I know. And the next day on the show, um, you know, we we got ready to do the mock schedule, and you said, well, do you want me to do mine first or you want to do yours first? <laughs> and remember how angry I got with you? I said, wait a minute. This is not your thing. This is my thing. You don't do a mock schedule. I don't do film breakdown on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. You don't do a mock schedule. I still don't understand why I don't do a mock schedule. Because that was my bit. That was my thing. I had done it for, by the time we did a show together, I had done it for 10 years. You know, Rigo didn't do it with me. Tommy didn't do it with me. And you certainly weren't going to do it with me, but you did anyway. You you forced maybe, maybe they didn't want to spend the time to put it together. Rigo certainly didn't care about the box schedule. Tommy might. No, no, you're right. That you you were the only one that would actually like to put in the time to do it. So that is a fair point. But 
Um, anyway, I, I told this story yesterday. It's kind of funny afterwards. By the way, everybody does a mock schedule now, um, so have at it. Um, before I get to this mock schedule, I do realize that by the time you're listening to this, the schedule's probably already out. In fact, much of the schedule or some of it's already been leaked. If I had known yesterday that they were going to leak the first week of the season, and I, I would have done it yesterday. But whatever, I'm going well, to give it to you. You need to change. You need to at least. You can't say that. You can't put the Chargers in week eight because you you did that work. You have to make that adjustment. No, right? I'm not making that adjustment. Adapt. No, adapt and adjust. Come no, on. I'm, this don't. Man. Don't tell me how to do my business. You know what my mind schedule is going to have? What? I'm going to have them playing the Chargers in Week One. <laughs> well, well, the they, the games that have already been leaked as as of the recording of this: Chargers Week One at home, Giants Thursday night, four nights later in Week Two at home, Denver on the 31st on the road of October, and no Thanksgiving Day game and no London game. That is why did they leak the Denver game? Uh, Nikki Javala from the Washington Post got it, and then somebody else. I mean, we see all these leaks all day long the day that the schedule comes out. Um, I did not know yesterday when I was doing the podcast that the NFL was going to release the whole week one lineup, which they did, which includes, by the way, just one Monday night game. No more doubleheader week one on Monday night. Um, In exchange for the second game, uh, ESPN got um, two Saturday games in the final week of the year that'll get flexed. And the ratings on that second game, which were all, you know, for the East Coast, the game wasn't even over until 1 a.m. The ratings weren't very good. All right, let me do my mock the way I mocked it, okay? I I just gave you the games that we know, so already uh, I've got three wrong. Uh, I had my mock schedule opening at Carolina in a Ron Rivera returns back to Carolina opener at one o'clock. They're opening with the Chargers. I had a week. I figured, the, I figured Carolina would probably play against the Jets. I don't. I mean, that was my guess. Yeah, well, that's true. It's Carolina and the Jets. It's Sam Darnold uh, against his former team. Um, yeah. I have Kansas City, you know, I have Kansas City in my mock. Week 2, 425 on CBS is part of a, of a, of a doubleheader game. They're going to play the Giants in Week 2. So now let's get to the portion of the schedule that might be right. I don't know. Seattle, I've got Week 3 on a Monday night game. Now coming off a Thursday game, I don't know, they could play a Monday night game in Week 3. I've got Seattle at home on Monday night football, the first of three that I had in my mock. Um, primetime games. They had none last year. They got flexed into that Sunday night spot at the end of the year against Philadelphia, but they had none on uh, in primetime last year. I've got them playing Seattle on Monday night, September 27th, the first of three primetime games. That'd be a fun game. That's yeah. A good, that's a, I like that. I like that. Week four at Philly, first division game of the year. Week five, this is going to be incorrect. I had them at Denver, a 425 game. Uh, apparently, um, they will play Denver on the 31st of October on Halloween. Why can't you just fix it right now? I don't want to fix it right now. I'm going to do it as, as it was because I'm not going to fake like I got these things right. Um, the Giants in week six at home, the Saints in week seven at home, and I had the bye week. On October 31st, that was sort of a wish so that all of the parents with young kids in particular didn't have their Halloween (laughs) ruined by a game. And apparently they're going to play Denver on the 31st at 425. So there are going to be a lot of dads that say, "Um, sweetheart, can you take them trick-or-treating? 
Uh, I got the game on. I'll handle all the people that come to the house. So that was the first eight weeks. Remember, this is a 17-week season this year. They'll play eight home games, nine on the road. The AFC teams get the ninth home game this year. And next year, the NFC will get the ninth home game. Um, Then I have, uh, after the bye week, Sunday night, November 7th, at Dallas on Sunday night football. That would be their first scheduled Sunday night football game since 2017. Keep in mind, the NFL's marquee spot is Sunday night football, and they haven't been scheduled for it since 2017. They played the flexed game last year at the end of the year against Philadelphia. I've got them at Dallas on Sunday night football, November 7th. Then I have the Chargers on the 14th of November at home. Well, we know that's going to be wrong because they're opening with the Chargers. At Raiders in Vegas on November 21st, 4.25 p.m. uh, game. That Vegas trip, Cooley, for people, um, for road teams, forget, I mean, for home fans, it's going to be huge because they didn't get to go to the games last year. That will be the most sought-after road trip game, especially for the NFC fans who are only going to get a chance to play in Vegas once every eight years or so. That's going to be a huge... um, If Washington's good and they play the Raiders a little bit later in the season, that will be an expensive ticket. Uh, November. Are you going to go? You know what? We should plan that as a trip. I I would meet you out in Vegas for that. Well, yeah, it's easy. I'm not going to the game. It's but. an easy trip. Well, yeah, I don't need to go to the game either. I just want to be in Vegas <laughs> for the weekend. <laughs> I don't need to go to the game. We can watch the game. playing in Vegas. We're going to go. No, we're going to play cards up until kickoff, and then we're going to go into the sports book and watch the game. <laughs> what uh, what seats you guys get? Um, table <laughs> Seven at the Venetian. <laughs> table, table seven at the uh, Venetian Sportsbook. Um, I've got the Raiders uh, November 21st on the road. I've got Philly Thanksgiving weekend on Sunday. No Thanksgiving Day game. They've played Thanksgiving Day four out of the last five years. Um, they're not going to have a Thanksgiving Day game. That's already been decided. Dallas is playing the Raiders on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, the other, I think, is Bears, Detroit, and then the Bills and Saints play the Thanksgiving night game. I've got Washington hosting Philadelphia Sunday, November 28th. And then comes what I have as a very difficult portion of the schedule. Remember, they have nine road games, eight home games. And they're going to play four road games in five weeks, starting with at Green Bay on December 5th, And then four nights later, at Buffalo on Thursday night football. Now, that probably won't happen because they're going to play the Giants in week two on Thursday night football. But my mock had at Green Bay, at Buffalo. How about December games back-to-back at Lambeau and then in Orchard Park, two of the coldest weather cities in the NFL with outdoor stadiums. Then... I have them coming home on Saturday, December 18th. You're not going to remember this, but one of my most impressive gets on the mock schedule is a few years ago, and I think you and I were doing the show, a few years ago I predicted in my mock schedule that Washington would play a Saturday late season game at Tennessee at 425, and I nailed it. I nailed it. Now, which which I think I think people were like, "How did you get that one?" I'm like, "I have no idea." Total. Uh, so I've got them hosting Tampa Bay on Saturday, December 18th. Now, understand this: when the schedule comes out, 
they typically what they do is they keep five games that they will later take three of them and put into that Saturday as a triple header. So you won't know until mid-November or early November whether or not that will be right, but you will know when the schedule comes out if they're one of the five games that could be on that Saturday, December 18th. Um, Then I have at Atlanta, December 26th, 1 o'clock game, at the Giants on January 2nd, and I have them closing against the Cowboys on January 9th. Ooh. There's the mock schedule. Um, And nine game, that's weird. I've gotten five right, I think, is the most I've ever gotten right, and many times I've gotten zero right. And so far, I'm over based on the games that have been leaked. There it is. I like uh, it. How's your knee doing? I like that you're still doing this. How's your knee? <laughs> it's fine. Okay. <laughs> it's, getting, it's getting better. I do. Uh, I do some some physical therapy three times a week. I'm going to try to play golf a little bit this weekend. All right. Good. Good. Uh, so, I'm going to play golf getting, this afternoon. Back to normal. I'm going to play golf this afternoon. So I've got to move on with the podcast. Ryan Rosillo's up next. I will talk to you later in the week. Have fun shooting 94. It'll probably be somewhere around there. Uh, Ryan Rosillo, right after this word from one of our sponsors. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, let's bring on Ryan Rosillo. Um, most of you who listen to this podcast also listened to Scott's radio show. Ryan was Scott's partner for many, many years. Ryan's got a very successful podcast, the Ryan Rosillo podcast. You can get it anywhere you get a podcast. It's part of the Ringer um, and Bill Simmons' thing and has been for a few years now. Um, Ryan's one of my favorite people to have conversations with about just, just about anything. And really what prompted me to call you and ask you to come on was Russell Westbrook, which we will get to here um, momentarily. But, you know, I just finished talking about the NFL schedule with Cooley, and I do this stupid thing, this bit every year. I've been doing it for 15 years where I do a mock schedule. Now everybody's doing one. Um, But, uh, you know, I got mocked for years doing it. But I do – I think it's so interesting, and I'm wondering what you think about how the NFL – Let's just say over the last 20 years, probably, maybe it's the last 10 to 15, has totally dominated the sports calendar. And and this is another example of it. Now, you know, this isn't the first year it's been popular. We're on like the second decade of the NFL schedule release being a big thing. But 
the NFL is such a behemoth, and they can make the release of a schedule on a day like today a massive thing. What do you make of that? Well, we all know the NFL. I mean, you know, even at ESPN, we're doing the radio show, and I love college football. I probably like talking about college football more than the NFL because I think it's more of a soap opera than the NFL is, and you know, all the different NBA stuff that I like or whatever. But I remember one time I asked someone, I said, "Would you rather me do a great NBA segment or an average NFL one?" And they were like, "Probably an average NFL segment." <laughs> you yeah. know, and so when you look around at the audience and you can kind of tell segment to segment, like people just care about the NFL in a way that everybody else envies. And whenever you talk about, you know, businesses trying to figure out how to grow revenue, which has been Goodell's number one thing over and over again. And I think some things, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for, but I think all of these people generally that are in charge of conferences or different sports leagues bragging about the television rights money that they brought in. It was like bragging about being a realtor prior to 2008. Like, you know, was it, was it you or was it the industry? So one of the biggest parts of the NFL's growth is I think they've gone, as you said, like the last decade, they go, why are we being nice about this? Like, why are we, why are we doing anything where we're conceding any of the days in the calendar? And we can hear people talking of, we want to own the sports calendar. We want to be this or we want to be that. There's no off season and all that kind of stuff. I, I really think they made a conscious effort to go ahead and do some of that stuff. Now I personally I could care less, but I like I just don't care about the NFL schedule release. I don't I don't look at it. I'm not like, oh my god, you know, just tell me when the games kick off and I'll be there, right? But to make it this thing where it's a Wednesday, you know, it's kinda of like in the middle of, of this downtime, um, or Tuesday and to say, Okay, well, you know, here's here's how we're gonna do this and then it's content and it's advertising, it's just owning owning the day in a day that you still wouldn't expect as the, uh, the, the NBA is ramping up for the playoffs. So I think all of these are strategic decisions that the league has made. I used to always joke before it ever even happened. I was like, I wonder if the league would ever do something where they would just have a prime time game on every night. Just say, hey, we know we're going to do a huge number. Let's just showcase the game. You know, the schedule will be weird, but we'll just figure it out. Because at first it was like, well, they can't do that with Thursday because of college football. They own Thursday now. Um, the college football game that used to always be great on Thursdays isn't that great anymore. And then it'll be like switched to this Friday thing. But then you can't do Friday because of high school football because that's where that lives. Well, I don't think the NFL is going to care about that. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised at some point there's Christmas games. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't think that they're worried about it in the way that everybody kind of played nice and played fair about it because really if you're competing um, for eyes, like why would you concede anything? And they've stopped doing that a while ago. Uh, there's apparently going to be, and the schedule's not completely out, there's going to be a doubleheader on Christmas this year. Whenever Christmas has fallen on a Saturday or Sunday, the NFL's actually done games. The interesting thing, and you mentioned the Friday night and, and actually the Saturday thing, I think that's the one area they can't because I think it's a violation of their antitrust um, protection um, where they are not allowed. I think so. I could be wrong about that. But I remember... I, look, you might be right about it, but I don't know why that could you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I think that they, in that, this particular sport, there is a commitment not to infringe, if you will, on the college game on Saturdays or the high school game on Friday nights until their seasons are over. That's why we see Saturday games late in the year on the NFL co- calendar. And even a Friday, like last year on Christmas Eve, we had a Friday night game. Um, but uh, those other seasons were over. And actually, high school seasons weren't even played. But I, I believe 
believe it has something to do with their antitrust protection. I could be wrong. Um, but you know, you know better than I would on that one. I I think somebody, I I read that somewhere, uh, years back anyway. So we both agree that the NFL is king, and that's funny about you know an average NFL segment versus a really great NBA segment. I mean, you you did the same thing every day for many many years. You know, a three hour radio show, and you know between you and Scott, and I know you ended up with more ideas about what to do on the Daily Show than he did. Um, and and we're we're very much sort of the 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 segment creator ideas guy on a lot of that stuff. But um, you know, I do every day. I like I think. Okay, like the Caps are getting ready to play in playoff games. It's about the only time of the year where here in this city you can actually do hockey for any significant amount of time. Because if not, people would rather you be talking about whether or not, you know, Cornelius Lucas or Sam Cosme is going to be the starting left tackle next year. You know, for Washington. It just it's it's the way it is in most cities. Now, with that understood, and with it understood that college football is the second most popular sport in this country, what's third? Well, you know, um, I, right I now, I think it's the NBA. Even though, you know, the the ratings thing. Like, I don't know what to make of all of the ratings things that are going on. Okay, and I was reading something the other day that was like showing this massive decline. Kentucky Derby to 19 to 20, but then when you looked at the numbers again, because it was part of the Triple Crown schedule, like that number was an incredibly positive number because it looked like it recovered and rebounded. You know, like we had moments where we thought, okay, well, as soon as the NBA is back and on, because people are stuck inside, these numbers are going to be massive, and they weren't really massive because I still felt like it was almost this disruption of the routine. And since it was the routine of like, wait a minute, am I supposed to be watching, especially on the West Coast, like I'm going to be watching 9 a.m., 10 a.m. NBA games on a Tuesday? Like, what the hell's going on here? Right. So the numbers ended up coming back, and I think they were they were disappointing for a million different reasons. And I wouldn't dismiss necessarily any of them, but I just don't know what the truth is behind it. But from a conversational standpoint, like what worked, what still registered on the radio show because of the off-season part of it and all the swirling stuff that I you know touched on. First, I always thought those were the best segments. I mean, we couldn't we couldn't sell a baseball segment in a pre-show meeting the last few years of Scott and I doing the show. And the last year, I think Scott and I went oh nine to fifteen. Yeah, so I mean, Scott and I haven't done the show together in six years. But even then, like we used to have weekly baseball guys on twice a week. And then it was kind of like every other week. And then I think some of the baseball writers would get a little disappointed because here's this big national show not having me on as much. But it'd be funny, like, when you think of the evolution of what, what topics would work. Like, in 2009, we probably could have done a, hey, can the Padres, you know, do they have enough in the bullpen? <laughs> you did that now <laughs> right. on a national radio show. They would they would be like, who are you? Why? You know, and it just those those storylines never really worked nationally, and I think that was another thing that happened is that we started kind of talking about so much off the field or off the court stuff in general that I think the industry kind of changed it a little bit. So I think basketball still is, but I know the ratings run of the last year plus um, hasn't been promising, but I, I still think it might be a bit of an anomaly. So that so that leads me to this. Um, I read something recently that. Uh, you know, privately, the NBA has not really um, appreciated or enjoyed some of the, 
especially from LeBron, some of the political activists, you know, tweeting and social media stuff. Um, and you know, I, I wonder what kind of impact that has for me personally. And I've said this many times to people who've listened to the show. I never let the artist get in the way of the art. I'm not going to deprive myself of something that I love, which are like the NBA playoffs every year because people are being political. Um, it, it just doesn't impact me, uh, what's written on the court or what's on somebody's uniform. But do you think some of, um, the you know the activist positions somebody like LeBron James has taken has hurt the league. I would think at this point, if you didn't like LeBron because of something he had said, you'd already had evidence to not like him. So why would it just all come to a head now? You know why why would it be just just this last season plus, which is really kind of two seasons, where I guess you could point to like I can bring up any point here, Kevin, and counter it immediately. So I'm. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sift through this as as best I can because I'm still not quite sure what the conclusion is. Right? Um, here's here's a good example. The Kaepernick Nike stock story is one of my favorite stories of the last few years because if you didn't like Kaepernick and the stock went down, in your eyes, Nike stock went down because of Kaepernick because <laughs> of the Kaepernick Nike deal. Right. If the stock went up one day and you liked Kaepernick, and you thought everything he was doing was great, you were like, see, the stock went up because of Kaepernick. And now anybody that's ever invested or understand a company with the market cap of Nike, Kaepernick's hoodie deal (laughs) has like literally zero impact on the fluctuation of a price. Yes. But there would be someone who, you know, hates Kaepernick, hates hates his position on everything, um, thinks he should never get another chance, and I personally think he should have gotten another chance, but I think there were other circumstances that limited his opportunities. But it just, I was seeing it play out in real time on social media, being like, you know, all you guys look like idiots right now. Like, none of you know what you're talking about. And you're like, oh, down $2 a share has to be related to this. So people were rooting for this conclusion that was really more invested in the way they saw the world than any reality or how a market actually works, because stuff goes up and down all the time for no reason. So if you are annoyed by unity being on the baseline of a basketball court or in racism on a field, um, even if we could say, you know, lasting impact, what does that really mean? You know, it's probably pretty minimal, but is it going to ruin your enjoyment of a broadcast? Like that seems pretty excessive. It does at least to me. So then when you see declining ratings, you're going to say, well, it's because LeBron tweeted this or, Hey, it's because of that. or This is going to happen here. Okay. But then why did the master's ratings decline? Like, why Why did all of these other live events that we had coming back, like, there was even an argument there at times, like, college football ratings would do that. So, so was it all of that, or did just ratings go down across the board? Now, I think on the other side of the person that would look at the Nike stock going up and say it's only because of Kaepernick, I think to say that, you know, there wouldn't be some, I don't know what the percentage is, I don't know what the total number of the audience in the United States is that would be turned off and decide to change a channel. It's, the number isn't zero. But to say that it's zero and argue that it's zero because your position on some things is just as dismissive as the other guy that's changing the channel because he doesn't like a commercial during during a timeout. Right. Yeah, I I I think that, you know the way you started that that there you could almost provide a counterpoint to every point is so true because 
in a conversation about LeBron and some of this stuff killing NBA ratings at the same time, I thought, well, if LeBron's not in the NBA Finals, I guarantee you the ratings will suffer because he's not playing um, in the NBA Finals. Um, let's talk about... Yeah, I mean, if we get Jazz in Milwaukee, they're going to want LeBron back. <laughs> they're going to want LeBron for as deep as LeBron can go, um, regardless of whether or not he's polarizing or not. We're talking... To Ryan Rosillo, um, Ryan Rosillo podcast. Get it wherever you want, um, and wherever you get a podcast. Uh, so I, I'm, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk about Russell Westbrook and the teams that you think have a legitimate chance to win the NBA championship. We will do that right after this word from one of our sponsors. So this morning, Ryan, I had Will Bond on the radio show, and we were talking about you know Westbrook, and and I said because I had this debate with my uh, former radio partner who's on my podcast, Tom Lavero, yesterday. I said, you know, where did Westbrook just change his legacy the other night by passing Oscar Robertson? Because the truth is. If you looked at any subjective list by a fan or by NBA.com, prior to this run that he's had, he's not anywhere near like the top five, top six, top seven point guards of all time. Tommy pulled up some list from lineups.com that had him 20th on the list of the greatest point guards of all time. But I kept looking through and nobody has him way up there. And I'm curious as to whether or not you think, and Wilbon and I talked about it this morning, and Wilbon thinks it did, that, that passing this mark will change the way people view Westbrook in the conversation of the greatest players, specifically the greatest point guards of all time. Do you agree or disagree? No, I completely disagree. Um, you know, Getting the triple-doubles is, is an incredible accomplishment, but it doesn't change who he is as a player. So if you'll allow me here, Kevin, I've... I've gone over this. I'm going to try to be as brief as possible to understand the Russell Westbrook timeline. Are you ready for it? I am. Goes to UCLA. Nobody knows what to do with this guy. Comes back another year. Body fills out. They're like, this guy's an insane athlete. We still don't really know what we have. Goes number four. Presti loved him. I've talked with PJ Carlson about this numerous times. I go, what did you see in him? He goes, you know, i got to be honest. He's like, I wanted Brooke Lopez. And I kept telling Sam, I'm like, I don't know. I don't see it. And Presti was just on it. He goes, no, there's something about this guy. He's different. He's different. He comes in the league, they have early success, but you can still see there's some weird dynamic stuff there where they were running, you know, Harden, who started seven Oklahoma City games in his career out there, in big playoff moments, um, running the offense, they'd initiate it through Harden and not Westbrook. So you're like, all right, what's going on there? Harden leaves, then there's the KD Westbrook run that was still kind of successful, but they catch zero heat whatsoever from blowing a 3-1 lead when the Warriors do, but I get the point, they won every three games in the NBA Finals. There starts to be kind of a team Durant versus team Westbrook deal where Durant's like, give me the ball at Westbrook's positions. Like, you're, you're just not, you don't have that mentality that I have. Durant bolts, Westbrook wins MVP, 16-17, triple-double, and the story that we embraced, and certainly the voters embraced, and I felt guilty of as well, is like, man, this guy just got a triple-double. I know the team isn't great, record isn't great, but let's see what happens. He then proceeds to lose in the first round to, I would argue, lesser teams three straight years in the playoffs. When they lost to Utah in six games, when it was when it was, was Westbrook there, and Donovan Mitchell was like the only scorer in Utah, that's when it first started kind of dawning on me. I go, despite the fact that I think Westbrook's the best athlete I've ever seen play in the NBA, I don't know that I've ever seen a player care about every possession as much as he cares about every possession, which is a huge credit to him considering what we've seen product-wise the last two years in this league, that now I'm starting to really question how much I trust him. 
so as we fast forward through all of this, where I think the realization became, wow, he puts up these crazy numbers, he has these moments, there's this intensity, but does it mean anything? And I, it doesn't mean nothing. Like, I don't want to be that dismissive, but that year he hit that first triple-double, Kevin, it was the highest single usage rate in NBA history. Right. He has the second highest usage rate for his career behind only one player in NBA history, and that player is Michael Jordan. So what he did is incredible. There are moments for for my appreciation for him that are, that are, I just I don't want to deny myself. But after I've watched the guy for a decade, I just think there's so many plays in there that aren't winning plays. Like I know he's always going to make a selfish defensive rotation that doesn't make any sense. He did it three times in a week this this past week when it was Milwaukee, Toronto, and Indiana. Oh yeah, he's going to take lost, shots. Lost Connaughton lost Connaughton twice. The Connaughton one, he was the third person next to Brooke Lopez. Right. I don't know if that's him trying to get a rebound. Trust me, he gets rebounds guards have never even thought of. But he also gets rebounds that no one would ever get when it's just kind of understood, especially when he was with Oklahoma City. Like, free rebounds, those are his. The big guys don't get those when you play with Westbrook. He kind of keeps your team hostage that you have to play in whatever way that he decides to play. And the point that I would make to end it all is they're about – 50 players I would trust more than him bringing the ball down the court in a playoff game tied with a minute left. And that's my Russell Westbrook take. And, I, you know, I, in a way I felt guilty this week by giving the full scope because, you know, it's almost like when somebody dies and then somebody decides like <laughs> two hours on Twitter like, yeah, you know, but in 1984, remember politically he was – and you're like, can we let the body get cold first before we start doing this on Twitter after somebody dies? And so I felt like a guilty person, but I just I would challenge anyone that really watches this, or maybe some people just don't see it, because I don't feel like people ever bring it up, is there's just so many losing plays baked into a triple-double that I can't, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I want to make sure I'm clear on one thing. 50 players in today's game you'd rather see with the ball in their hands at the end of the game in a, in, in a need-to-score to, to situation. If, I had, if you put me on the spot... I'm not a big hyperbole guy. If you put me on the spot to name 50, I probably couldn't name 50. But it's more than 20. I just, I've seen it enough. I've seen it enough. I once said this about Russ. I go, if he worked on like a, a lumber crew with you, you know, harvesting timber, and all the axes were missing, and he would just start punching its tree, and it might work. And the other guys would be like, hey, do you want to wait until we get more axes here? And he'd be like, no, no choice. And Part of you would admire it, but then you'd also be like, there's probably a better way to do this. It's First of all, you did that really well, um, and I think I probably agree with 95% of it. I, I will preface it by saying I've been the biggest Russell Westbrook fan over a long period of time, primarily because I don't think in the four major professional sports – that over the last decade plus, there's been any more competitive will and spirit and and energy level. Like, no one's tried harder. You might find a couple of people that tried as hard. Nobody tries harder. Nobody competes harder. 
But over the years, you know, and like I, I, I go back to that Miami series. I thought he was more the alpha than Durant was in in the uh, in the in the series, the one finals they got to and lost. If you go back and you you look at the three one series lead that they blew to Golden State, you know Durant shot ten for thirty one, twelve for thirty four. I mean, he was horrendous down the stretch. Had some monumental decisions. He in did that game those things. He was terrible towards the end of those games. But what really started to change my mind is when he left, when when Durant left, and, you know, first, you know, it was Oladipo, then it was Paul George, and then it was the Harden thing. And, you know, they're losing, as you said, to Utah, a team I thought they were better than. The Portland series I thought they would have a chance in. Um, then, you know, last year... The, the, I think they lost in five in that series. Uh, it, it, was, know, like... it, it was five. It was five. Um, and he had, like, a ridiculous number of turnovers in that thing. Look, early this season, here, locally... As much of a Westbrook fan as I was my entire life, and I would get in these arguments with people, and I would say, I, 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 I'm still rooting for him. I see the flaws, and I did. And then eventually I was like, yeah, you can't win with him. L- Legler and I used to have this conversation all the time because he was a massive fan, and he finally came to the same conclusion too. It's just never going to work because, like you said, there's too much baked-in bad along with all these incredible triple-doubles. And, you know, the rebounding alone as a 6'3 point guard is just, it's amazing, and the will and the compete, the whole thing. But early this season, I did, I said, I think, you know, the way John appears to be healthy early on, okay, but, you know, after the COVID stuff, and he came back and it was like, whoa, that's John. Like, we watched John from the start here. I'm like, that's jo- that's the athletic John. I might redo this trade right now if I if I could. And, and I took calls on it. And ha- more than half the people said, definitely. Now, what we didn't know is Westbrook was compromised. He was injured early on. Um, and he apparently was, you know, pr- injured pretty seriously. I think that, you know... I don't know where this goes. I think it goes right where the Portland series went and the Utah series went and the Oklahoma City, you know, series and 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 whatever recent series with Houston. Who'd they lose to last year? The loss of the Lakers, right? I think it was the Lakers in the bubble. Yeah, they, they got smoked by the Lakers. Yeah. They beat OKC in seven. Yeah. So I think Beal is a little bit more accommodating. I think that Westbrook's demanding leadership is actually being well received here, and maybe it wasn't in other places. But, my God, there have been moments over the last week, like you've said, as he's been compiling ridiculous numbers. They're not just barely triple-doubles. He's, he's got triple-doubles you know, early in the third quarter. Um, and yet there have been moments like not the other night when he didn't drive it to the hoop because I thought Atlanta did a phenomenal job of, A, getting back on defense, B, doubling him, and then C, cutting off every driving lane. And I said to Tommy Shepard on the show, on the radio show the other day, I said, if he had driven it, he would have turned it over. That's the kind of turnover that would have been waiting for him. The best thing that he did was take the jump shot. I didn't think it was going to go in. He's actually been shooting, but he would have turned it over if he had forced it um, going to the hoop. Now, maybe Brooks should have called a timeout. I don't know, but I'm with you on that. But on the uh, back to the original sort of question, Magic's number one all-time point guard, right? No debate. Yeah, Magic. So then, you know, I my, my group of who's number two is Steph, Isaiah, and then I guess Oscar. I didn't see Oscar play. You know, my father, who's a massive basketball guy, um, swears by Oscar. So did, you know, everybody else. So that's the next group in terms of the conversation for number two. Do you agree with that? 
Yeah, I'd have Steph too. I mean, if we're talking about me, the greatest me, me too. games ever, seen, me too. You know, um, and I think Isaiah, because of everything that happened after he was done playing, kind of gets dinged a little too much. But I mean, Isaiah was scoring where you know I, I, some of the some of the stuff is overstated historically. Like he'll throw in a classic game from the late '80s, early '90s, and you're like, so nobody nobody shot anybody. Like what happened here? You know, like some of the some of the defensive stuff. Like somebody will run a clip of like four guys getting hard fouled at the layups. You're like, was that on every drive? Like no, it actually wasn't. Right. Guys weren't athletic. But Isaiah, for his size and what he did, and he won. I mean, that guy was incredible. So he's there. I didn't see Oscar. I have to defer to my father. But you know, one of the other crazy things about the Oscar triple double number, which is a credit to Westbrook, because I could do this too, is Oscar's first year the league average per team on shot attempts was 109 attempts per team per game. Right. We're, we're trending upwards again, but we're at the high 80s. And the, the rebounds that were available sure. people just came up and then just shot, and then the ball was loose, and they shot at a worse percentage. So there was a million rebounds. So it was easier to get rebounds back then. The weird thing that's a counter to that is that now we give out assists more than we ever did. Right. We're giving out the same number of assists per game per team that we did 45, 55 years ago, because just scores are, are a little more generous with those deals. Um, so, you know, I, I would I would ask you this. Would you really rather be coming down the wing in a playoff game, tight spot, with Westbrook bringing the ball down, or Jason Kidd or Steve Nash or Chris Paul? Because if you're picking Westbrook, you just must have a poster of him at your house. Um, first of all, the other the other thing on the rebounding thing is big men stayed underneath the basket. They're not necessarily, and then you've also got you know the benefit of rebounding as a guard in this day and age with so many threes and so many long rebounds. Anyway, just wanted to make that point. No, of course not. Like I I I mean, as much as I love how hard he tries, and I've rooted for him throughout his career, you know there are so many players. Look, I'm going to tell you this: there are there are 15 players I'd rather have the ball in their hands at the end of the game than Bradley Beal. I'm a big Beal fan in that I, I think he's really done a remarkable job of improving. He's an elite scorer, but there are 12 players, 13, 14 players in the league right now that I would take before Bradley Beal is an all-around all player. Um, but no, I, I mean, if, if Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, the players in the game today, Doncic, I mean, there's so many of them that I, I, I again, I don't know if there are 50, but there are 15 to 20. 50. Fifties. Yeah. I, I should not have. Been it's okay. I, I get it. Um, but all all time, I guess. Back to the original question. I do think those that have felt the way you felt and may not have sort of described the career as quickly and and as accurately and eloquently as you did, but had this sense that he makes too many bad plays and that's why he's not one of the greatest point guards of all time. I do disagree with you. I think that this record snuck up on people to a certain degree. It it became this unbreakable record that not everybody knew was unbreakable. I mean, this isn't 50, you know, Ted Williams' 56-game hitting streak. You know, it's not 715. It's not, not hitting good. 400. It's not all of that. And I think 36 of these things this year and watching him um, and elevating a team that was terrible to start into at least the playing, you know, round and maybe, you know, into a, a first-round series – um, I think people who had him ranked super low will think differently of him after this. N- that he is now past the great Oscar Robertson. And by the way, he's going to continue to separate himself, and there will, there will be significant distance when he is done. 
between what Oscar did, which was apparently unbreakable, and what Westbrook's final number is. Yeah, but that's why I get to the usage thing. Again, he's second behind one guy, Jordan. He didn't give the ball to anybody. And you can say, oh, he gets a million assists, but a lot of them are drives where he's probed, he's probed, he's probed, he's probed. I mean, look, he's had some assist games the last week that are absurd. I mean, the 24 against the Pacers, like I went through them all again. They're all they're all ridiculous. Like, he just decided I'm on it. But you know, one of those things that used to happen with that Thunder team, you go, you know, you can't go all season where you just dominate the basketball, then drive, and then in the playoffs, it's like, actually, now that I've been cut off because people are locked in a little bit more on my drives defensively, here's the ball. It's like, dude, you haven't passed me the ball in this spot in like six months, and now I'm supposed to start hitting <laughs> shots in the playoffs. Like, when I watch Steven Adams now, I think Steven Adams is like long-term brewer. He gets an offensive rebound, and he's a foot away. He's this massive mountain man from New Zealand. And as soon as he catches it, he like goes to throw it out to Eric Bledsoe with the Pelicans. And I go, that's because that's all he did is that as soon as he gets the ball, I have to get it back to Westbrook. So anybody that wants to take issue with anything that I've said, I'd be like, fine. But, I mean, not to sound like a jerk, but I guess I would just say that if you can't notice those things that he does defensively that are huge, those are conscious decisions. It's not a conscious decision to miss a shot. You can talk shot selection. But it's a conscious decision to go, yeah, you know what? I'm just too hyped up right now. I'm going to go get another rebound. I'm going to leave a shooter wide open. Like, you're expecting. Here's another thing, like, that happened the other night in the Atlanta game. And granted, they could have won that one. It doesn't matter. Every team I see play the Hawks, try to figure out how to get Trey Young on them defensively oh and switch towards the end or in a big spot. Westbrook just was like, eh, why would I do that? You know? And, and I'm watching going, you're doing – it was like when I watched the Celtics decide, hey, we're going to be the one team that drives to Rudy Gobert instead of trying to pull him away from the hoop. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, because that's going to work. And they looked like, like, it looked like they didn't have any concept of who Rudy Gobert was. So, you know, look, it's awesome that Russ tries really hard. You know what I think is a real positive is that when I would talk to teams about him in the offseason, like, hey, would you ever take the tires on Westbrook? And I think for some of the stale franchises that were like, yeah, we talked about it, and we thought about it, but... You know, he was in complete control of that Thunder organization. They were so scared post-Durant. They did everything he wanted, to, even like down to the temperature in the locker room. And it just kind of became obsessive. And I was like, is any of this stuff about winning? But this is what I think he did for you guys, is that I still thought they'd make the playoffs with healthy Beal and healthy Westbrook because of how bad the back end of the East is. And the East ended up being a little bit better than we thought. But I always thought this team could be a playoff team, despite the fact they were, what, 3-15, and they had their COVID issues, all the stuff that derailed or looked like it was going to derail their season. He brought life and excitement back to a fan base that's desperately trying to get back to where they were just a few years ago when you thought you had the backcourt of the future in Wall and Beal. And so that part, I think he deserves a ton of credit for. But I think the overall decade thing, I'm not going to let a triple-double record. This is what I think people do to talk about stuff for a living is, so now that he has a triple-double record, I'm not supposed to focus on all the stuff that I've noticed now for five-plus years where I go, you know, I can't, I can't work with that. Because I, I, I don't think there's any real – I don't know. I don't know if it's that he's too hyper about it or he doesn't have the accountability it, it, about it, but it just drives me crazy. Sorry. I think, I think you just hit on the description. I think hyper is a, a very interesting word because you, you said he's making these 
decisions, you know, consciously. I, I, I don't know that that's true. I think, I think that the big, <laughs> I, I think the biggest issue with him is there's one speed and th- there's one speed physically and there's one speed mentally. And when the game slows down, and this is why, you know, they've had so much, you know, so many issues. When he can take it off the rim and lead a fast break or when somebody can throw him the ball and lead a fast break and they're playing fast like they are, I think they lead the league in in, in possessions per game right now, offensive possessions per game. Uh, you know, he's going to have two really good plays to the one bad play. Maybe it's even three to one. When the game slows down and he has to slow down both in his mind and physically, I don't think he's capable of doing it. I think that's the flaw more than anything else, and that's where he gets exposed. Is And by the way, with all due respect to a guy that I like, because the players like him, Scott Brooks has very little structure. He had very little structure in OKC. He's got very little structure here. There's a lot of three... I don't think you can have any with Westbrook. Well, I just I, don't think you can uh, that, have any. That's where I was going with it. And I was going to say, oh, over the years, because I'll never forget, Gary Williams said to me, we had this conversation when he was in OKC, he said, Kevin, watch him. It may not be the coach. It may be they can't get him, they can't give him structure because that's not what he really understands. Like, he goes, I've had guys like that. Look, his mind, is ju- it's just too fast and he can't slow it down. Now, there have been times this year I'm like, you know, he's shooting it better. Like, there's more lift, there's more arc, there's more confidence. Um, and anyway, I think, you know, for the most part, I actually think we agree on all of it. I uh, Other than, uh, you know, the usage rates I don't think will move people. I think most people that do these things and create these lists ultimately will say, well, Westbrook's got 247 triple-doubles. You know, he's got 65 more than Oscar and 140, 75 more than Magic or whatever it is. Um, he's got to be one of the greatest point guards of all time. And he won't make the top five list, but he'll be much closer than he's been. Um, Kevin, I'll leave you with this. When I was doing Get Up one day, I was getting in an argument with some former players about it, right? I was in I was in a room, we were arguing, and I was just like, I can't believe it. And some of the guys in the room were arguing they'd rather have Westbrook than Curry. And I was like, what? Yeah. And they go, why? There's the defense. I go, yeah, then you don't... I'm like, you know, this is me who never played in a game anyone cared about against guys that played, you know, real games. And they're telling me that Westbrook's better defensively than Curry. And I was like, this is crazy. I go, here's the other problem. I go, Curry is what you should ever, every superstar should, or you should want every superstar to be like Steph Curry. He runs off the ball. He decoys. He'll screen. He'll rescreen, even if he knows he's not getting it back. I go, how many times have you ever seen Russell Westbrook set a screen? Set a screen. Think about that. Like, can you now visualize, like, oh, wait, and I don't know. You know, it's hard to it's hard to set a screen when you're holding onto the ball when you've got the ball in your hands. Right, right. Yeah. Well, Furry has the ball in his hands a lot too, and he's had no problem screening and yeah, he just moves. He made his yeah. entire career. All right. Um, we had second spectrum pull it up. We had a researcher do it. I forget which season it was, and he came back and he was dying laughing. He goes, Second spectrum has Russ setting four screens this year. I'll pull them up. Two weren't even screens. Two were like whoever logged it logged it wrong. That's ridiculous that's ridiculous so look you've got you got to get somewhere and so i i got two minutes with you and i want to finish up on this first of all as we approach the postseason 
Do you agree with me that Golden State's dangerous right now? Like they could they could get to a best of seven and be really dangerous for Utah or Phoenix? I'm the biggest Steph fan you're probably ever going to talk to. That team isn't very good. It's getting they better in one game. I know, but they're not. They're not that good. Like they just are. I mean, think about some of the guys that are playing minutes for them regularly. And yes, Wiggins is this ultimate tease, which tells you you should stop being teased by him. I think I think he's been around long enough that we know what we have here. But Steph to carry that team for four games against uh, Utah or Phoenix, and you know I know what they did to Phoenix. I know what they did, but you know the Utah game. I don't want to hear, you know, when Conley and Mitchell aren't playing, you know, some of these results that we're getting, we're like, hey, what does this mean? It was great Brooklyn beat, or Milwaukee beat Brooklyn twice in a week, but it's without Harden. So I'm like, okay, cool win. But um, I love watching Golden State. Last night was one of my favorite regular season games because they couldn't hit a three to save their lives yeah. for like the last two minutes. And they pull it out against Phoenix. And, you know, Chris Paul is one of my favorites. Those guys going back and forth. I just don't think that team is good enough to beat somebody that good. In the so West. who comes out of the West? If Phoenix can avoid the Lakers, I actually think they come out. But if they get the Lakers, they have a horrible, horrible front line to defend what would be a healthy Lakers front. So um, Phoenix, if you allow me that, Phoenix, if they don't have to play L.A., but if they do, then I think L.A. beats Phoenix. Uh, you talked to Nick Nurse on your podcast the other yeah. day, and you know there was something in there about what it was like to coach Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi's my favorite player in the league. Um, I don't like what I'm seeing with the Clippers right now, especially him. He's not totally healthy. So what did he say? What 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 was it about coaching Kawhi that was a challenge? So what I told Nick was when Kawhi was trying to figure out his decision there when it was, you know, is he going back to Toronto? Remember, it was like, oh, he he enrolled his kids in school there. Right. And you were like, did he? And then that wasn't true. And then I think Magic Johnson met with him, and then Magic just did like an ego trip deal where he's like nailed it, locked him up. When I'd always heard that Kawhi actually wasn't in a huge hurry to play with LeBron ever. Like, I don't feel like being part of your deal, um, even though LeBron was recruiting him. And, you know, then he goes, to the Clippers, but leading up to me trying to figure all that stuff out, one GM, who I appreciated him saying this, he goes, here's what I can tell you, Ryan. Anyone that tells you they know what's going on with that guy or thinks they have some sort of connection to his inner circle is lying. So that's all I can tell you. I can't tell you where he's going, but I can tell you who not to listen to. And if somebody's really confident about their information on him, that person should not be trusted. And I was like, wow. And he was right, because all the information that I got just didn't make any sense, and then he ended up going to the Clippers. So... What Nick said backs that up in that he is his own person, like all the time, all the way. And look, when you win, everybody loves it. If he had like playoff failures and people would be like, oh, he's too closed off. He's, you know, he could be the exact same person, but we would change the way we see him. But I thought that story about him going to Kawhi in playoff games, being like, all right, you know, seven and a half, the score's tied. We need you to go in. And Kawhi would just look at him and be like, I need another minute. <laughs> and Nick was like, what? And he'd just go, I need another minute. And then Nick would say, you know, and it was unbelievable how revealing he was in the interview because he's just saying, like, I'm sitting there watching the game going, okay. Like, and I think that's just what it is. I, I think that you are, un- like, there's not going to be a ton of dialogue. There's not going to be a lot of game planning. There's not going to be a lot of interaction. Like, he's just going to kind of decide what he's going to do. And, um, a lot of times people don't like that about players, but when you win and you're as good as he is, you can get away with it. Uh, do they have any chance of coming out of the West? 
Yeah, their shooting numbers are are nuts. You know, yeah, from three point line. The the Clippers hangover I always thought was too aggressive out of the off season and then going into the season and then throughout the season. Like the the fact that they've won this many games and still missed George and Kawhi for long stretches and Ibaka for these long stretches and, and Beverly, you know, whatever you think of Beverly, you'd at least want them in your rotation for certain matchups. But their shooting alone has carried them to what is still an incredible record. And, you know, for all the, the angst of last year, they deserve criticism. You blow a 3-1 lead, but it wasn't like they went 41-41 and 41 and lost in the first round. And that's the way I felt like everybody talked about it. Now, I wouldn't trust Paul George you know, I just, he has, we call him 30-13. Like, he, he could have a great game. He could score 30 in a playoff game. But if he had 13, I wouldn't be surprised either. I mean, he had some atrocious yeah. game log submissions there on his career playoff game log. If you go back and look at, like, wait, this guy got zero points in a, in a game seven? Like, what? Or maybe, wait a minute, that might have been Chris Bosh. I think George has, like, some absurd one for ten game or something like that. Um, so, they got to figure out a way to get past that mentally because George hasn't given me a lot of evidence that he can, but Kawhi certainly can. So I, I think they could, but it's wide open. It really is. It feels really wide open unless LeBron and AD, you know, look perfect. Right. AD looks so good against Phoenix the other night that it feels like he's back. Yeah, it seems like it's as wide open on both sides as it's been in a while. Um, I enjoyed this as always. It's good to catch up. I hope you're doing well. Let's talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, that's it for the day. Uh, Appreciate Ryan jumping on. Um, Back tomorrow with Tommy. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.